Can it just be a little tree? Mm, let me check. No, sorry. Our file says it's a huge one. RV owners can't schedule when things go wrong on the road. That's why there's Progressive, a leader in RV insurance. Is it 2.14 p.m. or a.m.? You know, I'm not sure. Can I put you on a brief hold? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. The Jason Ranch Show. Once again, a story you can't believe is real, but Jason Rance of Seattle confirms it is. Seattle residents are outraged. Jason, tell us the state of the Seattle Police Department, if you will. Rance took pictures of trash and syringes on the ground around the camp. Jason Rance is with us. This is your story. I want you to take us all the way through. Thank you for being the person to go in there and show us what's happening. We hear from another patient who has been denied an organ transplant because of his refusal to get the COVID vaccine. We hear from Governor Jay Inslee, who thinks he knows more than you about concern for freedoms. Plus, Alex Ibarra, state representative from Quincy, stops by to talk about the mandates hitting teachers in his district. We're going to get to that and so much more this hour of the Jason Rancho brought to you by You Build It. The monologue. When the governor starts sort of mocking the fact that some folks have concerns about their freedoms being taken away from them due to his mandates, we have a serious problem. This indicates that he doesn't care about what you believe matters. Because to him, it doesn't matter. To normal, reasonable people holding on to some form of rights over your body, over medical choice, we actually think that that's important. But Jay Inslee doesn't. And so instead, he goes off on this weird, bizarre, just (sighs) everything that everyone doesn't like about this governor. The bad faith nonsense that he spews all the time is epitomized in this clip from yesterday's press conference. I believe in the freedom of our kids to go to school and not be exposed to a teacher with COVID and infect them and maybe cause serious illness of that student. I believe in that freedom. Okay, so that's the freedom. You don't believe in the freedom of someone to choose anymore the medical decisions about themselves, the the freedom. This from a governor who allows homeless people who are mentally ill to roam the streets of his state, threatening people. We don't have the freedom to walk down the street without fear of getting attacked by a homeless person. But the freedom to not get COVID means we're going to mass vaccinate by mandate. I believe in the freedom of a person to go shopping and not getting infected by someone else without a mask standing next to them trying to buy something at the store. So then does the mask that they would be wearing and presumably vaccine that they have, does that not work? I'm assuming that means it doesn't work. You're arguing that the vaccine and masking does not work. Interesting. I believe in freedom of people who come into the Department of Licensing and not get infected from COVID from a state employee who has COVID. The freedom from COVID is something that is a freedom that we are protecting here. So then what he's arguing is that you will never, ever, ever, ever see anything different in your lifetime, in our lifetimes. Because COVID isn't going away. And we know that even when you are vaccinated, you could still get COVID and spread it. Thankfully, those who are vaccinated do not deal with significant issues for the most part. That's the majority, the vast majority. There are some rare cases in which someone who's vaccinated does, in fact, land in a hospital or die. But it's very rare. 
But if he's saying you should have the total, quote-unquote, freedom from not getting COVID, that means we will never, ever, ever, ever escape this reality. COVID is a respiratory disease, a virus. It is going to be here until you completely eradicate it. But he is choosing, he is choosing to say he will not bring us back to normal until it is completely gone. That should terrify you. The Interview. My next guest says it is absolutely wrong for Governor Inslee to force teachers into a vaccine. In fact, he says if he wanted more people to get vaccinated, he definitely wouldn't be going through with extreme mandates. Joining me on the line is State Representative Alex Ibarra, Republican from Quincy. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jason. Why do you think it's counterproductive for the governor to impose this mandate? Well, I, I think all his mandates are the same. I think he's mandating and not talking to the folks, not going out and speaking to everybody. Uh, nobody wants to be told what to do. And all the mandates that he's done since this COVID has started have been coming from him, coming to the people, and he doesn't talk to us. He just mandates it without talking. Uh, so that's that's why everybody's so mad, in my opinion. How's your district nobody responding? Uh, as, as probably as well as everybody else's is they're they're mad at tech and they want the mandate to go away we've got a lot of teachers that basically said you know first they t- that they tell us that we're going to get vaccinated and then we don't have to wear masks now he's telling us if you're vaccinated you have to wear a mask so when's it going to change he makes changes all the time and that's why everybody's mad that nobody knows what the next step's going to be he doesn't talk to anybody and it's just a mandate it's just an order like having a parent and you're a 25-year-old and your parents are telling you what to do. Most people will rebel yeah. or they'll get mad. And that's what's happening here. Well, and this is a crisis that is of our own making. Uh, I know Republicans pushed hard to take away some of his emergency powers, but Democrats didn't want that to happen. And it's a part-time legislature. So realistically, what can be done to stop this overreach of government? Well, I think doing what you're doing, I think getting on the radio, getting on TV, get, you know, and getting notes out to everybody, letting them know what's going on. And in fact, most Eastern Washington uh, do, do not want the mandates. I think all the Eastern Washington people that have friends in Western Washington need to tell their friends what they're feeling over in Eastern Washington. So the next time there's an election, they vote in somebody that will remove these emergency orders. But is that, is, that all, is that all really that can be done? Because I know a lot of people are saying, what about lawsuits? But it seems like he is acting lawfully, as despicable as it is. So, so uh, I know a couple counties uh, have already sued. Some of my colleagues, um, some legislators in, in my caucus have sued the governor. I think there's been seven lawsuits. All go to the Washington State Supreme Court, and all have been dismissed. Yeah. So we got to the point where it's like, why sue the guy? Because we know what the answer is. We know what the answer is going to be. No matter the lawsuit, it's going to go against us. We've done it seven times, and seven times it happened. It was all, uh, everything was dismissed. Do, do you realistically think they're going to fire teachers and bus drivers and cafeteria people and custodians if they don't get vaccinated? Do you think they're going to follow through? Yes. Yes. I think they will. I, I think it, for sure. 
I, I think that's the deal. I think that they're going to fire him. If they don't get vaccinated, they will be let go. That's and not happen. get unemployment. Uh, I'm also thinking that's going to happen, too. I, I haven't heard for sure. I haven't seen the uh, proclamation from the governor's office yet, so I don't know exactly what it says. But I'm guessing they're not going to get unemployment. Yeah, and I mean, he basically so, said that yesterday. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, what they're basically yeah. saying is that this is now a condition of employment and it's part of just the, the basic requirements. And so if you can't do a basic requirement and you force them to get rid of you, you wouldn't be eligible, which is just absolutely ludicrous that we would be doing that to these folks. I will say this, and I'll give you the last word. It is an interesting predicament the teachers are in because the unions last year basically said we weren't going back to the classroom unless vaccines were widely available so we our teachers can get it so they don't get sick and i know that not all teachers took that position but how do you think the unions navigate this are they just going to go in and support the mandate yes i think they're going to support it the whole way they're going to complain a little bit like they're doing now they should have said something before but they didn't they have all the power they've got all the money that they, they give to their uh, the folks they wanted elected, and they haven't said anything. So I'm guessing uh, from what I've heard or, or maybe lack of um, hearing from the unions mm-hmm. that they're going to fall along with the mandate. But, but you know, one thing that the, the governor always ceases to amaze me is that he listens to the folks in his office or the folks that are around the corner, but never listen. I live in eastern Washington. I've got, you know, they always talk about equity and inclusion, all that other stuff. I got probably my staff in my school district is probably 80, 80, 85 percent Hispanic. So if you look at the demographics of the folks that aren't getting vaccinated are Hispanics because they, they, they're being told they could get sterile. Yeah. Well, so that, it, that's it, what we're hearing on our end. That's, and so at the end of the day, what's going to happen, they're not going to get vaccinated. So I would venture to guess 25 to 30 percent of my staff who are Hispanic who are going to get fired including everybody else that decides not to get vaccinated. And how is that inclusion and how is that equity? Yeah, no kidding. I I, he doesn't listen. I, I was told that uh, any policy that has a disparate uh, impact on communities of color is inherently racist, no matter what the intent was. So uh, I guess this policy is racist. Yeah, well, but then, I guess when he does it, it's okay. We, he gets a pass. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the double standard. Yeah. That's a double standard uh, he uses. And that's just not okay. That's how he operates. And that's why I'm on your show, and that's why I'm talking. No, I appreciate that. We've well, been talking with State Representative Alex Ibarra, Republican from Quincy. Thank you so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye. Now this. The monologue. Obviously, with the new rules in place starting on Monday, because I guess the emergency situation that requires a mask mandate can hold off until Monday under Jay Inslee's new rules, People will be wearing masks in bars and restaurants, and obviously there are businesses that are concerned. Now, the CEO of the Washington State Hospitality Association is trying to put a little bit of a spin on this, Anthony Anton. He talked to King Five and said, well, it's better than the businesses closing down. A much better uh, option of other options that might have been on the table. A unified approach to masks um, means it's easier to explain to guests. And this is a step that we can take that does minimal harm uh, to businesses. Now, everything he just said, with the exception, I think, of the end there, is objectively true. There are worse alternatives to this, shutting down or cutting down the amount of people that can go into a restaurant. That is objectively worse than a mask mandate. But 
should you be okay being put into a position like that? Because King Five also spoke to some others who are directly impacted, like Jack Chong. He is a restaurateur. He opened a restaurant called Season Seattle. It's a Mexican-Asian fusion restaurant. Now, in fairness, it's going to be closed in the next month, probably for cultural appropriation. But until then, he obviously wants to do well. He just opened his business on August 11th. He just opened it. And he says that there are some gray areas in the governor's announcement. We're going to be a little bit more serious about, you know, the customers following the rules. So we'll also have a door guy, you know, to help with the flow, letting people know as they enter in, like, hey, these are the new rules. So they're stepping up a little bit. But he says he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep his doors open. I don't mind operating like this. I don't mind even closing earlier. You know, like, say the stop alcohol service at midnight. I don't mind it. As long as they just don't shut us back down again, you know. As long as they don't shut us back down again. That is how they break you. And that's not a good place to be in. So desperate that you'll say yes to just about anything so long as it's not the worst of the worst of the worst possibility. That is a horrible place for a business owner to be in. Make it seem like you might have a more serious restriction that could have been worse. But if you listen to us here, we won't do anything beyond that. As long as you go along with us, we will stop here. Number one, that puts you in an incredibly exploited position out of fear. They're getting you to move forward with their plans without too much pushback. Because if you push back too much, they might... You might think they might just go ahead and just close restaurants. But number two, how many times, how many times, whether we're talking about Jay Inslee or Joe Biden, have they said, if you do this, you get this. You get vaccinated and you don't have to wear masks, only to then say, psych, you do still have to wear masks. How many times have we had a broken promise under the exact same scenario? Are we going to fall for it again? The interview. Well, the Seattle City Council decided to continue their hazard pay for grocery workers, which putting which is putting a strain on the actual grocery stores. So what exactly does this all mean? Tammy Hetrick is the president and CEO of the Washington Food Industry Association, and she joins us for an update. Obviously, this week, earlier in the week, you had pointed out that it seems rather absurd to continue this hazard pay, and yet yesterday the may the, the governor just put us back into an emergency. How does that change your position, or does it change your position? Hi, Jason. No, it, it absolutely doesn't change our position on this. Um, you know, we've tried to talk to the city council, and I represent the independent grocers. So those are your non-publicly traded, you know, grocers. We usually have a much smaller profit margin. And we just don't have um, other stores that we can lean on to kind of backfill these extra costs. And so, you know, these are costs that are impacting the cost of groceries, um, how we can keep our doors open. Um, you know, if we can provide extra security, um, you know, can we donate like we did before to other nonprofits? Now, there's just a lot of factors that go into this. And my stores are reporting now, that they're actually at a loss. So when this all started, 
you know, it was all based on income from the large, big stores that are publicly traded. And, and we got caught into this. And, mm-hmm. and now, you know, as we're opening back up, um, it's still just on independent, just on grocers. I'm not just independent grocers, all grocers. So it's a bit of a challenge that we're still the only ones that are being targeted for this. It seems absurd that they're going to continue to move forward with this. But at the same time, I mean, Teresa Mosqueda and Lorena Gonzalez are both running for office, right? Mosqueda is running for reelection on the council and Gonzalez is running for mayor. And it just so happens that the people that they're giving more money to are probably going to be supportive of, of them going into the election. Right. And and that's very probable. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we can't have this balance where we can call and, and really talk to these council members and just explain, you know, how this is impacting the community. Um, you know, the cost of groceries, I'm sure everyone has seen, has just went up significantly. Um, you know, those are supply chain issues. And so, you know, stores are struggling because we want to keep grocery cost effective. We want to make sure that, you know, our communities have the food that they need. And and it's just a challenge with all these added costs that we have no control over uh, when we do pay very good wages to our grocery workers. And we do care about them very much. And we want to make sure they have a safe workplace. And we're doing a good job of that, too. I mean, we're not seeing exposures in grocery stores. Yeah. Last question for you. Have you seen at this point either closures or layoffs or anything tied directly to the hazard pay? So what I'm seeing right now is my members pleading with me to try to get a meeting with council members so we can figure something out before they have to close their stores. What we're seeing right now is we're seeing a cut in hours. You you may notice that your grocery store is not open as late as it used to be. Um, Or, you know, they may not just have as many workers there or a lot of different things like that. So they're trying to find other ways to not absolutely close that store. But I do have owners that are reporting that they're making no money at all. Mm-hmm. So they have no money to actually to feed their family. Yeah. So we are getting in a situation where it has to change. It does have to change. Unfortunately, it might have to wait until after the election. So the council member yeah. who's running for re-election and the one running for mayor uh, don't tick off the people that I think that they're trying to impress and not bribe, but give extra money to in order for their support. We've been talking with Tammy Hetrick. She is the president and CEO of the Washington Food Industry Association. Tammy, thank you so much for stopping by. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Have a good day. You as well. Now this. The Jason Rant Show. Always glad to see Seattle radio host Jason Rance. It's always a pleasure to watch you and a pleasure now to host you. Jason, I, I just love your coverage of what's been going on in Seattle. Jason, this is as bad as it gets in America. Jason Rance, great to see you. Thank you. Long form, presented by Northgate Rare Coins and Precious Metals. It seems every time I discuss the fact that UW Medicine is denying transplant patients their organs over their reluctance to get the COVID vaccine, I hear another person say they experienced that exact same thing. And today is no exception. Joining me on the line from Olala, he's only 39 years old. 
He needs a new lung, and he says UW Medicine just kicked him off the list. Joshua Hunter, welcome to the show. Hey there, Jason. Thanks for having me on. uh, Obviously, you heard about the stories that I've been covering both on the show and online. Take us through the situation you find yourself in and how UW Medicine reacted. Um, Sure. So, yes, I follow your opinion pieces on uh, my Northwest quite frequently. So I um, take time to read your articles. And I came across the liver patient um, the other day, and I thought, oh, my goodness, my story is very reflective of this very thing. So what's gone on is um, early June, um, University of Washington started to indicate, like, hey, this vaccine, we may still start making adjustments. But at that point, nothing was mandatory. Um, now, fast forward this current week, everything has changed. There's been no appeal process. There's been, um, I've tried to contact um, primary doctors. I've tried to contact my regular team. And there's been no back and forth in regards to my concerns about the vaccine. And so I was told yesterday afternoon that as of right now, I am technically considered inactive, um, which our whole family has been trying to organize our lives around this possible transplant. And at this point, it is unlikely to happen. (laughs) That's very concerning because I was in line for a potential double lung transplant. I've been told that it's probably my best chance of surviving um, more than three to five years from now. Um, And so I find myself uh, backed up in a corner, a pretty big corner, and I'm not sure exactly how we are going to navigate it. So, So you believe based on your diagnosis, you have about three to five years left without a transplant? That's what's been indicated, yes. And what are what are you living with? Why do you need the new lungs? So I've been immunocompromised severely for the past uh, three years, especially. Um, but I've been struggling with a lung condition for over the past decade. So it's called sarcoidosis. Okay, it's called yeah. sarcoidosis. This is the, is the main. Um, the main diagnosis and basically um, it includes um, severe shortness of breath Mm -hmm. and coughing. In my case, the more active and the more exertion that needs to happen, the more coughing takes place. Yeah, and it's very rare, uh, but very, very serious. You, You say that you've been trying to get answers or something from UW Medicine and your team but you haven't heard back at all because I've, I've heard similar claims made from the other patients that I've spoken to. Take us through just a little bit of how you've tried to reach out to them and their response. Yeah, I've, I've actually had some very meaningful dialogue with some of the, um, some of the health coordinators 
where I was on Monday able to like take a 10-minute phone call and able to articulate some of the main concerns I have, um, which the main concerns are, number one, my family and I have done very well to navigate this whole COVID era without getting sick. So why change course now? Number two, if I introduce um, something that could be so hostile to my immune system, that may not bode very well for me and could and has a proven track record of putting me in the ER. So if I were to open myself up to that, that is very concerning to me. I was able to elaborate that and indicate that to um, one of one of my care people on Monday, and they took that down. And they were very kind and gracious when I told them that. Um, however, since then, I have had nobody reach out to me except for the time when they said that you're inactive. And they so did that, that has been the over the phone. Dialogue. And they did that over the phone. So I sent an, an email to one of my main people who has worked with me since 2019. I have no, I, I haven't seen a response yet. Um, and then the person that I was going to set up an appointment with that I said, hey, I will video conference with them. I will take a phone call. I've had no scheduling Jeez. input from them whatsoever. Joshua Hunter is joining me on the line. He is 39 years old from Olala, and he was on a list up until recently to get a lung transplant by UW Medicine. And because he did not want to take the COVID vaccine for fear that it could hurt his current issue of sarcoidosis, they decided to just remove him from the list and doesn't sound like they're responsive at this point to the concern he's rightly expressing. What do you think this means ultimately for your health that UW Medicine is denying you this lung transplant? Well, let me start here. Um, some people may disagree with this, but I am a man of faith. I believe strongly that no matter what happens, our family will be okay. So let me be clear upon that point first. However, we have situated our whole lives around this possibility and been told that at any moment we could be called and to get ourselves ready for a potential transplant. And then after that, we'd have three to six months of, in a best-case scenario, recovery period. And so we've triangulated our whole lives around this potential with caregivers, with family support. And now at the, at, at the change of a, of a decision, an isolated decision apart from the patient, because I wasn't brought in on this conversation, the whole game has been changed. I just wish that my good faith efforts to be compliant with everything else that they've asked for, 
I wish that good faith effort was returned and said, hey, let's bring Josh into this. He is the patient. Let's discuss this with him. And that never happened. And I'm still trying to figure out how to how to articulate a point that says, hey, my immune system may not handle this harsh vaccine, potentially, without the testing that it could be. And so, so me as a patient, I'm not being heard. And so I don't know where it's going to stand. I know we'll, as a family, we'll land on our feet. And I know that we're going to be okay. But it's a very murky outlook at this point. Yeah, but I mean, to your point, you may not land on your feet. Correct. That is very correct. (laughs) And it's a hard situation to be in as a man, as a father too, and a wife that I love tremendously. So I guess my last question for you, and I think that some people might ask this, and I think it's a reasonable question. If the alternative to the COVID vaccine and then getting the transplant um, is certain death, whether it's in three years or five years, why not then risk it with the vaccine? If I'm able to have those conversations with my doctors, the doctors who know me well, who's been on my case since 2019, and they're able to say, Josh, look at this data. The people that have that remain unvaccinated, they die post-transplant. If they're able to produce that documentation, I will fall in line with what they're requesting. I am not anti-science. I am not anti-vaccine. However, I just want to have that conversation first. Please listen to my concerns. Let's have that dialogue more than just everybody has to be mass vaccinated and our whole lives change because uh, a decision was made from an isolated team somewhere remote from me. Exactly. I I can't explain the thinking that goes into keeping you from your actual doctors so that you can have a conversation with them about this and that what you're asking for is not unreasonable. In fact, it is exactly what just yesterday Jay Inslee said, which was talk to your doctors and let them convince you, let them tell you what the data says. And that University of Washington's medical center doesn't want to do that is absolutely shameful. And of course, I've, multiple times printed their statement uh, in my pieces online. They deny that there is a actual policy, but seems to indicate uh, that's a total lie. That's a total fabrication. Joshua Hunter, we wish you the absolute best of luck in dealing with this situation. I hope that the pressure is felt by UW Medicine. Tucker Carlson did a segment last night. I I expect that there's going to be some more segments uh, in the coming days or weeks So hopefully they'll put some pressure to at least have a conversation with you. We wish you the best of luck, okay? Sure. Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show. Now this.
The Jason Rant Show. Jason Rantz, Seattle radio host, joins us now. Jason, you're the perfect guest on this. Jason Rantz, welcome back, Jason. I see you often on other programs here. Jason, what's going on? Jason, thanks for coming on. The Quick Hit. I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's going to make me angry and I'm going to start to yell and then I'm going to lose my voice and then I'm going to be upset about losing my voice and then I'm going to start yelling about losing my voice, which is as you can tell, uh, counterproductive to trying to recover that voice. So I I won't spend too much time here. However, we have to talk just briefly about a plan from Bill de Blasio to pay criminals $1,000 a month to not commit crimes. This is, of course, absurd. Mayor de Blasio last year, like so many other far-to-the-left fringe politicians, decided to tinker with the police department. Not only was the NYPD defunded, not only did they run a whole bunch of cops into early retirement, but they disbanded the anti-crime unit. And guess what happened? Yes, a rise, a surge in murders, in shootings. Crime went up after they got rid of the anti-crime unit. Shocking, I know. Same thing, of course, as you know, happened in Portland. They got rid of the gun violence prevention team. And at the time, afterwards, he goes, you know what? We're going to address the root causes of crime. You can't just invest in policing. We're going to address the root causes of crime. And again, we've heard similar proclamations here in Seattle. But now he's got a plan. Through a group called Advance Peace, the city's going to pay $1,000 per month, which they're calling transformational opportunities. They're going to pay it to, quote, young men involved in lethal firearm offenses. You mean murderers? Is that that what you mean? Well, at the same time, pairing them with neighborhood change agents, which they call credible messengers, meaning they bring life experience, conflict mediation, and mentorship skills to the target population. So, in other words, other criminals who maybe are on a, hopefully... (laughs) But maybe, hopefully, they're on a better path. Now, according to the public advocate, Jermaine Williams, in the New York Post, he's quoted as saying, investing in advanced peace model, quote, isn't only a moral obligation, it's a governing imperative. It's an imperative to pay criminals money not to commit crimes. I don't commit crimes. You guys don't commit crimes. I haven't stabbed anyone in at least a week and a half. Should I get $1,000 if I can go a full month? And do you pay them at the beginning of the month or at the end of the month to make sure that they didn't just previously commit some crimes and this is the payment? Or do you do it at the start of the month hoping that they'll make it to month number two without, I don't know, shooting someone? Or excuse me, being involved in lethal firearm offenses. (laughs) This is, of course, absurd. It's absurd. How about you just get a job? If you're in need of money, let's address why you don't have a job. And sometimes it's due to lack of education, lack of certain skills, whatever it happens to be. I'm totally okay, and I think we should be encouraging that kind of program. But I'm not paying you money so you don't commit a crime. You're not supposed to commit crimes. Those are the rules. That's the society in which we live. I like those rules because all of a sudden what you're going to start to see is people say, oh, well, maybe I should commit a crime. 
and then maybe get rewarded with $1,000 so I don't do it in the future. Maybe I'll do a low-level crime. Like, instead of shooting someone in the head, you know, I'll stab them. I'll stab them right in the, the flank, in the abdomen. But not, you know, it won't go too deep. Obviously, I don't want them to bleed out and die because then I could go to jail. I'm just going to do a, like, a little love stab. Just a love stab. And before they put me in jail, I'll be like, wait, whoa, whoa, I am the exact kind of person who would like to be advanced by peace. Be advanced peace, the group. I would love the $1,000 and I'll never do it again. What's to stop one of the neighborhood change agents from saying, you realize that I'm credible as a messenger because I used to be a criminal. Now you're going to give me $1,000 a month and I won't commit any more crimes. And you're going to pay me to be a part of this group. Why would that not just naturally happen it is so absolutely ridiculous and while i want to say it's such a crazy idea it could only happen in a place like new york then i'm reminded i live in seattle the last rants with that because we do talk about issues around seattle it's important to understand the direction that we're headed in as it relates to covid bothers me the most about all of these new mandates, be it mandating a vaccine or putting on a mask indoors again, regardless of your vaccination status, even though they all admit at the state level the people who are getting sick are unvaccinated. So I'm not entirely sure I understand why I as a vaccinated person or you as a vaccinated person is being punished. But we're clearly going in that direction, and it bothers me because now the focus is going to be on that. Instead of how we get the economy back together, how do we support our small businesses? How do we support kids as they're heading back to school? Hopefully that still happens. And how do we get people who are misinformed on the vaccine, who just don't know the details yet and haven't made a decision? How do we get those folks to get vaccinated? I want people to get vaccinated in consultation with their doctor if they want. Some people don't know if they want it yet because they are questioning some of the bad faith folks or misinformed folks who are spreading lies about the vaccine. Some have legitimate, reasonable concerns based on actual side effects that are happening that bad faith folks on the other side are pretending aren't. The messaging behind vaccines has been awful, absolutely awful, not just from Inslee, but from the Biden administration. The one thing that will make people more hesitant to a vaccine is when you tell them you have to do it. Then they get not just suspicious, but resentful, and they're going to say no. If you told me I had to get a vaccine, you mandated it for me, I would have said no. I'm not going to let someone else tell me what to do. So I understand why some people might be even more hesitant as a result. And that's on Inslee. He did not have to create the strictest mandates in this country, he chose to. He chose to because he's a power-hungry lunatic whose power needs to be taken away by the state legislature. Which means, as Alex Zabara said this hour, state representative from Quincy, means you need to vote. And you need to vote while getting your friends and family members to vote too. A lot is on the line. And I'll be reminding you of that a lot into the next election and into the midterms. And that's the last rant. Are you on Twitter? Hey, so are we. Follow your favorite KTTH hosts throughout the day for analysis on the big local and national stories. Text the keyword Twitter to 1-800-465-8770 and we'll send you all the accounts to follow. Text Twitter to 1-800-465-8770. 